Today, I am honored to be able to have in the house with us, Matt and Lindsay Nelson. Matt and Lindsay started off as college students in this house, interning, serving in almost every capacity of the church. Then they came on staff and was on staff for several years. And then they got married. And then we got to partner with them in planning a church called City Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've had the honor of being able to know my kids are going there over the last almost over 10 years. And I am thrilled to have in the house Matt to preach today. Would you right now, North Church in Guthrie in Oklahoma City, give a great big warm welcome to Matt Nelson as he comes to preach. Thank you, Jake. You may be seated. What an honor and privilege it always is. Uh, this is home for Lindsay and I, uh, the place really that it all started. We love this house so much. In fact, this last week I was doing a little bit of reminiscing. I know Lindsay was here pretty much service one of North Church in 2002. I came a little bit late, like three months into it, and I found a picture from my first Sunday at North Church. So we show this picture right here. Look at this young guy right there on the left. Come on now. Over 20 years ago, that was uh, an outreach Sunday that North Church was doing. Uh, I say all that to say this. Uh, my passion for the local church started in this house. My passion for church planning and the vision that God had given me to plant churches started with, in this place with, with you. So many friendly faces in the room, so many people that believed in us, what we were doing. Uh, we wouldn't be here today without Pastor Rodney and Shannon, without you. So I always, every time I come back every year, I wanna stop and I wanna honor you because this church has and is doing significant things for the kingdom of God, amen? And every year I get to come back and celebrate all that God has done in you and through you. If you got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 14 is where we're gonna be in a few minutes. I'm gonna dive straight into the deep end this morning if that's okay. With this thought I wanna talk about for the next few minutes. In a radically divided time, we need a radically united church. In a radically divided time, we need a radically united church, amen? amen? We know that just because we say that doesn't mean it's gonna happen. We know it doesn't happen just because we show up on Sunday. We don't accidentally fall into unity. We understand that this body of Christ is amazing and that it is, it's a messy family. Growth and discipleship is messy, amen? Yeah. It's just part of the process. When we get phrases in the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts at times, it can kind of seem like things happened easily or naturally. We know that's not true, but we get phrases like all the believers were together and had everything in common. We get phrases like, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All the believers were one in heart and soul. Beautiful expressions. Things like, and after they prayed, the place that they were meeting were shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of those are beautiful expressions of the church? And yet in between these phrases, it gets messy. We get things like they had to commit or devote themselves to one another. That's not always easy. There were times of persecution and suffering that they had to endure. There were very real disagreements and divisions that they had to work through and figure out. There were extravagant and radical acts of generosity and sacrifice. See, for you and I to, to experience unity amid diversity, you must have something at the center that is holding you together. And that thing that's at the center that's holding you together has to be greater than all of the other things that can divide you. Yeah. 
Think of it like a bullseye. That thing at the center is holding us together right now as the body of Christ. But there's a whole lot of other things in that bullseye. There's other things that we care about. What makes this so difficult is you have opinions and preferences and you grew up in a different family and you see the world slightly different and maybe your political leanings look a little bit different than the person next to you, but that thing in the middle, right? If it's powerful enough, it can hold us together no matter what may try to divide us. And we have to fight for that. It's difficult. It sounds easy, but we know it's not easy. We have to intentionally pursue it what unity looks like even in our differences. That picture I showed you uh, was 2002. I had just graduated high school. I interned at North Church that summer, and then I went off to Oral Roberts University for my freshman year. I remember walking into my, my dorm room for the first time, meeting the guy for the very first time that I was gonna live with for the next year in a small cubicle. Come on now, how many know that's a little daunting? I remember walking in, I was 18 years old, he was 25, he had grown up in China and his parents were missionaries and he begins to list off all of the things that he, he loves to do and he's kind of waiting for me to jump in and be like, oh yeah, I, nothing, we had nothing. He's like, man, I, I love to draw. I'm like, can't do that. <laughs> I love anime, I love playing this video game, never played that. He would like to watch really violent movies like over and over again, the same movies throughout the week, right? like really violent stuff, like stuff it's like really hard to, to study through, you know? And he would just watch the same ones. It was, it was super bizarre. I remember one day I'm sitting there on my bed and I'm studying and he puts on his gi, his martial arts get up and he starts to do his routines in the middle of our small cubicle. I'm like, oh dear God, give me the grace <laughs> to get through this. About halfway through, he looks over at me and he says, hey, um, I need help training, do you mind helping me train? I'm like, well, this can't get any more awkward. Let's just go for it. Let's just do it, right? He says, I study a rare form of martial arts where I've learned to block out the pain, uh, just completely block it out. And so what's gonna happen is I'm gonna go through this routine and he said, then you're gonna kick me between the legs as hard as you can. I'm gonna need you to say that one more time just because I'm not sure I got it the first time. He said, yeah, just kick me as hard as you can. And so he goes through this whole routine and sure enough, nods his head at me. And so being like a nice guy, not wanting to send the guy to a hospital, I give him like 40 to 50% of what I got, right? And he looks at me and he says, if you won't kick me hard, I'll go find somebody who will. He is going through his routine. I'm over here on the side of the room stretching like I'm an NFL punter in the game of my life. I'm like, bro, I'm gonna lift you off the ground this next time. And he goes through his whole routine, looks at me. I do it again. Let me just tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ and martial arts training became enough for us to get through the hardest times together. I'm not even gonna tell you we became best friends, but there are moments of frustration. I was like, we need to train right now. I just feel like we need to train. We need a training session right now for this to get through struggle. I'm gonna, we found something at the center to help hold us together. See, this is the great gospel experiment of the New Testament. This is the question. Like the question becomes, can the gospel be sufficient to hold us together in a world that's trying to rip us apart? In a time that's so divided. If the secondary things become primary things, guess what, it doesn't work. It rips us apart. Let me ask you these questions. Can the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, become enough to unite the most diverse people groups? Is it enough? 
Can the spirit of God so transform our hearts that the people we would normally see as outsiders, now we see as family? This is the question Paul's asking 2,000 years ago. This is the question we have to ask today. Will we allow our differences to become a testimony to the world of God's power at work in the church? It becomes a story to the rest of the world that they don't understand because the rest of the world says, you've got to have a shared interest. You've got to have enough in common. You've got to look alike. You've got to sound alike. You've got to have the same political ideologies. But the, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, you know what? This is enough to overcome all of those other differences. Because this is primary. The book of Romans, Paul's great theological work. Romans is living proof that unity is not easy, yet it is possible. Romans 1 through 11, the chapters 1 through 11 are 40,000 feet, high-level theology. It's Paul developing this kind of understanding of the gospel and the spirit of God at work and and the people of God. And then Romans 12 through 16 is street-level, everyday, lived-out theology. I've actually learned that there's some benefits of reading Romans backwards to help us understand kind of what he's talking about. In Romans chapter 16, he tells us he's writing this letter to the churches in Rome. And he goes to this, this female leader in the church named Phoebe, and he says, Phoebe, I want you to be my courier. I want you to be my carrier. Take this, this letter that I've written, and I want you to take it to all of the churches in Rome. We don't know exactly how many churches. Most scholars think anywhere from maybe five to 10 house churches, anywhere from 10 uh, to 20, 30 people. So we're not talking about a massive amount of people. But think about the city of Rome. It it was the epicenter of the world at that time. It was where people groups would come. It was where immigrants would come to find refuge and migrants and all these people would come and you had merchants coming for the next trade and sale, intellectuals coming for the next great idea, politicians vying for power. All of the peoples of the world came together in one city and guess what? That's exactly what the church looked like too. Language barriers. Male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, homeless and wealthy, all of the people coming together in one room, coming to the table, trying to figure out if Jesus really is enough, because I don't think I have anything else in common with you. And I don't even speak your language. And we see the world very differently. I mean, the church in Rome is facing all kinds of divisions. In fact, we can go into Acts chapter 18 and it tells us there was a time in the church in Rome that the emperor, he removed all of the Jewish Christians. They had to leave because of an uprising. And so the church changed while they were gone. And then all these Jewish Christians come back to the church and guess what? It's very Gentile now. It has more of a pagan flavor and it's not the church that they left and you change the, the carpet color and the pews look different. And I used to sit in that seat, but somebody else is sitting in that seat now, right? And this tension, I mean, it was real. If you're taking notes and following along with me, each person in the church had developed an identity apart from Christ and in Christ. And unless your identity and in Christ is greater than your identity apart from Christ, you'll never experience unity. This is why Paul time and time again says in Christ, in Christ, your relationship, the body of Christ, in Christ, because he's trying to get the people of God to understand all of these other things that define who you are are not primary. It's not that they don't matter. It's not that we act like they don't exist, but they're not the center. And anytime you wanna take the outer rungs of the bullseye and you wanna bring them to the center, guess what you do? You'll destroy the very community you seek to be a part of. So Paul asks the question, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? 
Will your identity in Christ become your primary identity above every other identity? Or will you allow all the differences to pull you apart? And guess what? The church is messy, isn't it? And it was messy in Romans. In Romans chapter 14 and 15, we get this story of the weak and the strong. And if you've never read this, it's an extremely relevant passage for for us today. And we don't have time to read all of it. I encourage you to read it. But Paul begins to talk about the weak and the strong. The weak and the strong are two different groups in the same church in Rome. The weak Christians are the Jewish Christians who had, who had all of these uh, Sabbath rules and regulations and dietary laws and all of the things that they brought with them into Christianity. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they still followed a lot of their Jewish regulations. And so the question in the church is, which food are we allowed to eat? Now, I know that's not something we wrestle with today, but you go ahead and fill in the blank on something that's extremely, con- uh, just kind of con- brings up conflict in the church today. You just fill that in because this was an area of conflict. And the Jewish Christians are, are, are saying, we can't eat this food that's been, that, that's been given to a, a, an idol. We can't eat that food, it, it's unclean. And I can't believe that you would even eat that food. So here you have these Jewish Christians, the weak, who are passing judgment on the, the Gentile believers in the church who are eating this food. On this side, you have these Gentile believers didn't grow up with all these rules and regulations. They were pagans. They came, they came to Christ and said, Christ is enough. And, and we don't have these Sabbath rules and regulations and dietary restrictions. And so if somebody puts meat in front of me, guess what I'm gonna do with it? I'm gonna eat it. The Jews are passing judgment on the Gentile believers. The Gentile believers are looking down and despising their Jewish brothers. And we're one big happy family, aren't we? Except we're not. And Paul's gonna get to the heart of it. He said, both of you are claiming privilege. Both are claiming that you have status over the other group. You're both claiming power, but that's not how the body of Christ works. The secret sauce of how this works is love and humility. And the moment we stop operating in that, guess what, this all begins to fall apart. And the same thing about this works in your marriage too, just FYI, right? The moment we stop moving into those things is the moment moment that this starts falling apart. Romans chapter 14, verse 13, let's pick this up. Paul says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. This makes sense with a little bit more context, doesn't it? Where where Paul would look to him and say, hey, let's stop judging each other. We're we're, we're in this same body. You don't put a stumbling block in the way of your brother. Let love rule what you do, what you say, where you go within the body of Christ. What's some things that we can learn from this? Number one, love for one another must triumph over your opinions, your passions, and your preferences. It's not that you won't have opinions, you just submit them to the way of love, don't you? You submit them to the way of love. This church is no different than the church that I pastor, and I know have people that come into our church and they're passionate about certain things, and, and they, wanna, they wanna fly that flag because I'm passionate about this subject, this topic, or certain things, and I say, guess what, you can be passionate about these things, just don't fly your flag higher than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You gotta submit it under the lordship of Jesus. And if you're willing to submit it to the lordship of Jesus and this body of Christ and move towards unity, guess what? You can flourish in this body. But if you choose to elevate your opinions and preferences above the body of Christ, guess what? That's why we have leadership to step in and protect the unity that God has brought here. Love for one another must triumph over everything. Number two is this. Love means laying down your personal freedoms for one another. Think about these Gentile Christians in the church. Man, it, I, I can eat whatever food I want, it doesn't matter. And Paul's saying just because you can doesn't mean you should. There are times in the body of Christ, and this is not popular today, where you lay down your personal, personal freedoms and liberties because of love. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. What does love look like in this context? What does it mean for me to honor my brother and sister in this matter? Because if my eating this food causes you to stumble, and if you're worried about what I'm eating, guess what? I'm gonna pick something else to eat. Maybe I can't eat that, but should I? What does love say about this? Number three, love for one another means entering into a covenant community where our differences become proof of the gospel at work. We are a covenant community. Covenant is lost today. We don't work in covenants anymore. We, we think contractually. We think as long as I'm happy, as long as this is meeting my needs. But I want you to think about this. God brings you into a covenant community and it's not if you work through it, it's how. How liberating is that? No, it may get difficult, but guess what? I'm gonna be here. Like we're gonna figure this out. You know what was beautiful about the early church? They didn't have anywhere else to go. They couldn't go to the church down the street. It didn't exist. And so the things that limited them actually became what was powerful in and through them. Is they looked at each other as different as we are and we may have very real conflict, but guess what? We're the minority of believers in a, in a, in a city that's hostile to the gospel and I need you. And I can't do this alone and so we gotta figure this out. Can I tell you one of the greatest tactics the enemy uses to keep the church today from being ineffective is not being able to deal with conflict in a loving way? That may sound super practical, but this is a messy family, and in messy families, guess what, you're gonna get offended, and someone's gonna rub you wrong, and someone's gonna say something they didn't mean to say, and we have to have the mentality that I'm not in this conveniently, but I'm in this in a covenant, and so in a covenant, guess what I do? I go to my brother and sister and say, we gotta figure this out because there's too much at stake for us not to. There's too much at stake. Let me tell you the church of Jesus Christ today, we gotta practice humility. We gotta deal with conflict. We gotta actively listen to people that are different from us. You need people who are different from you, amen? Like our diversity in the body of Christ becomes our strength. If you're old in the room, you need young people in your life. If you're young, you need old. If you're single, you need married. If you're married, you need single. Like that's the body of Christ and the power at work among us. What we know of Romans 16, Romans 14 and 15, let's go down to Romans 12. Let me end with this passage this morning. Paul says to this church, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Don't think in regards to power and privilege. You think of others greater than yourself. You lower yourself. You live in humility. He goes on in verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
This, this is Paul going on. He said, you look around the room. We're different, but our diversity is our strength. Our diversity is our strength. You know why? Because God's given you a gift that I don't have, and I need your gift in this body of Christ. Some of you have servant leadership. Some of you have teaching. Some of you have the gifts of the spirit. Some of you have this, the ability to administrate and organize. And guess what? When all of us from diverse backgrounds and, and different ways of seeing life, when we come together and we use our diverse gifts to build up the body of Christ, it benefits you, it benefits me, and it benefits the world. Amen? What a picture of what Jesus designed this to be. But we have to fight for it, church. We don't, we don't just conveniently fall into it. Verse nine, Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lacking, be lacking in will, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I wanna stop there for a minute because look what Paul's saying. He's like, passion isn't bad. You just gotta be passionate about the right things. We order our passion, we order our fervor, we put the things of God above all of the things. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And this becomes the question for the church in Rome. Paul would look to the Roman church. Will you welcome one another to the table? people you disagree with. You know what we do with the essentials of our faith? We hold them tightly and we fight for them. You know what we do with the, uh, the non-essentials of our faith? We hold them loosely and we give love and liberty. The things that we're passionate about, the things that we, we prefer, we hold them loosely. And this question that Paul is presenting to the church in Rome is again the same question that we have today. Will we fight for unity among diversity? In a time where there's radical division, will we be a radically united church? Some of you know our story. We spent 13 years setting up and tearing down in the, in the Tulsa Ballet, a, a performing arts center. We had opportunities to move and moved into buildings, but we believed God had called us there and we were running three services from this performing arts center and uh, there was a building that, that, that we believed that we were supposed to pursue. We spent four years, man, ups and downs, struggles. Everything that could seem to go wrong did at one time. But how many know God is faithful? We moved into that new facility, 54,000 square feet in February of this last year, amen? Let me tell you, North Church, you were a huge part of our story, of our journey. God has strategically placed us uh, in an area, an urban area in Tulsa, between two major areas of high income and right behind us is the lowest income area, the most broken part of our city. We're in a corridor of homelessness. We have a team of people every Sunday morning, all they do is serve all of the homeless people and all of the neighborhood kids who just come in off the street. Last Sunday morning, they came in wet, it was raining, they needed clothing, Lindsay's trying to find clothes for these kids, they haven't eaten in days, and so everybody's getting lunches, and I mean, this is just a strategic opportunity that God's given us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in an area. But I went to our church months ago, and I said, you know what, it's so easy to get comfortable, isn't it? 
You've been going to the same church for a while. This is my seat. These are my people. This is what I do. But the body of Christ, we extend our arms wide. And we tell anybody, guess what, your family. Like you can come into this room and your family. There's the same homeless gentleman in his 70s that sits in our lobby every Sunday. He doesn't actually come in. His name's Boots. And I sit with Boots. Hey man, you need something to eat? Yeah, they already got me something. And he sits there. And he said, I can't tell you every week, I just look forward to sitting here with you guys. and Get something to eat and drink in my coffee. Guess what? Your family. Your family because we're never gonna get comfortable. We're never gonna walk into a room and just go after the people that look like us and act like us, right? We're gonna fight for unity amid diversity. We're gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus because it's not anything else other than the gospel. Guess what, the cross is the great equalizer, amen? We walk into the room empty-handed. I am broken because of sin and alive because of Jesus. And that makes us brothers and sisters. That makes us family, amen? Stand your feet with me across this room if you would. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you, North Church. Let me tell you, if you have not been a part of Heart for His House, I don't know many churches who are having the impact that this church is having all over the world in the kingdom of God. I I stand up here today as a living example of that. My passion for church planting started in this house. We planted City Church. This year in 2024, we will plant our 34th church through City Church. Come on now. You have 34 grandkids out there. And it's because of your obedience, because of your yes, because of your sacrifice and generosity The word of God is going throughout the world. People who need Jesus are hearing the message. People who need to be fed, who need clothing. How how many know before you can say God loves you, you gotta say here's a blanket, here's a jacket, here's some food, and you're doing that. If you haven't taken that step of obedience, I wanna encourage you to do that, take that card. It doesn't matter what anybody else does, what matters is your obedience, your yes. What is God calling you to do? in and through this body. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come forward as well. If you need prayer for anything this morning, I wanna invite you to come and want you to grab one of these individuals. We believe in the power of prayer in this house, amen? To heal, to deliver, to set free. If you walked in this morning and you're carrying a weight, you, you, something that you're carrying, we do not want you to walk out of these doors with that weight. Pray with somebody. Believe God for healing. Maybe God's just stirring in your heart and you don't even know what God's doing. You just feel that tug. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. Follow that voice. And here's what I'm gonna pray for you, North Church. I'm gonna pray that that unity would abound. I'm gonna pray that you won't get comfortable. That, That church would never just be convenience and it would never be comfortable, but we would continue to live on radical mission for Jesus, amen? And that our differences would not divide us but we are one in Christ, amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this house. God, we thank you for what you have done and what you're doing. God, I, I, I speak against every attempt the enemy would have to divide this body. 
God, I pray for a new radical unity to come upon every person, that people in this room who haven't really made this their home, that they would move from attendance to covenant, God. They would take ownership of the body of Christ, that we, we don't choose com comfort over you, Father. We choose mission. We choose unity. We choose people. As messy as it may be, God, we lean in, Father. We say yes to what you're doing in this house, in this body, God. Would you bring this church together like never before? I speak life and blessing over this place, the staff, the leadership, every volunteer, every person. I speak blessing, Father. The blessing that has been poured out of this house would be poured back in. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen and amen.